Hi, Jerry. Hi, Bethany. Take you, Beth, to be my wedded wife. To be my wedded husband. To have and to hold. From this day forward, for better or worse. For richer or poorer. For richer or poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. From this day. From this day until forever. Until forever. This, this is, is my solemn vow. Weddings. Little girls dream about them. Family and friends come together to celebrate the marriage of a couple. God created marriage, and over the years, our culture has done its best to try to change it, redefine it, and even destroy it. The vows that we communicate to our spouse in front of God and family and friends have significant value, reminding us that on that day, we are making a commitment to honor a lifelong covenant. Marriage, it matters. Let's obey God by doing it his way. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, this morning we get to start a brand new series, and we're talking about marriage. From fairy tales to faithfulness. And uh, as we begin this series, I, I have to admit I'm a little nervous or apprehensive because I know that while I'm married, I'm very fortunate to have a very beautiful bride. I am far from a perfect husband. Now, I made her promise to say, not say amen when I said that. So, uh, uh, but I'm not a perfect husband. And while I've been married for 17, almost 17 years, uh, I still have a lot to learn. And so I'm, uh, this morning as I speak and as we open up God's Word, please know that uh, I'm speaking as much to myself as, as I am to you because I need to hear this just as much. And, and I understand that all of us come uh, to this subject maybe from a different perspective or from a different place. Some of, uh, some of us adults in this room aren't married but I guarantee that you do know some people who are. And you can come alongside them and maybe encourage them in their marriage, encourage them to be all that God wants them to be. Students, some of you are maybe not even thinking about marriage, but one day you might. It may cross your mind. And, uh, and so there's some things to learn as maybe you enter into that season of starting to think about, well, well maybe it's time to get married and and so we come to this from a lot of different perspectives, but I think God's Word has some, some encouraging and some challenging things to tell us uh, this morning. So this month, this whole month of March, we're going to kind of be walking through marriage and what does God say about marriage and how do we do marriage well? How do we uh, obey Him and do it God's way? And so I encourage you to, uh, to come and be with us, and, and, and hopefully it'll be an encouraging time and a challenging time as we, as we try to be better husbands and wives. And, and I believe that's really important in our culture today. And I believe after this morning, you will know, you will know why it's so important that we, we are the husbands and wives that God wants us to be. And so I think that is so, so important. But before we go to the, to the text, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for 
your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for, for uh, uh, just how it, it, it talks about marriage and what it has to say about marriage, Lord. And I pray that your word through your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts this morning. And Lord, that you might challenge us to be the husbands and the wives that you want us to be. And we'll give you the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get started this morning, I have a question. How many people here like to read books? How many people here like to read books? That's great. A, a bunch of you like to read books. If, I ha- if I'm honest, I'm kind of the wait for the movie to come out guy instead of read the book. Uh, but I know a lot of people that like to read books, and there are some people that I know that, that the first thing that they do when they get a new book is they go to the very end and they read the ending, right? And, and I'm, it doesn't make much sense to me, but that's what they do because they want to get the mystery out of the way. They want to know how the story ends, and then all of a sudden they go to the very beginning and they start the book and they fill in the details. They fill in the details. It's kind of strange, uh, but there are a lot of people that actually like to do that. Well, this morning, we're going to kind of try that uh, method, and, and we're going to start kind of at the end of our text and kind of reveal the mystery of the text, and then we're going to go back and fill in the details. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to start at the beginning, at the end, and we're going to try to uncover the mystery of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Paul says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So as Paul comes to the end of his teaching here in in Ephesians chapter 5, he kind of springs a surprise on us. He says that marriage is a mystery, that there is some hidden meaning in marriage, and until now, that meaning has not fully been disclosed. It's not fully been uncovered. And the surprise is that marriage is a type. It's a picture. Marriage is meant to be a portrait of something else. And to show this, Paul goes back to the Old Testament, to the very first marriage of the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, And he quotes Genesis 2 there in verse 31. And now let's get some context for you you as as we look at this. Back in Genesis 2, starting at verse 18, um, it says this, The Lord God said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And that's Hebrew for let's get the honeymoon started. Um, and so here we see this is, this is kind of the background context of, 
of what Paul is talking about. This is the first marriage of Adam and Eve. And, and God had created Adam and then allowed Adam to live by himself for a time so he could come to the understanding that in all of creation, there was no helper suitable for him. All the animals God had created were paraded in front of Adam, and Adam gave them all names. And in the process, he came to this realization that there is no one else like me. There's no one else like me. They're all so different than me. God had Adam see that there was nothing or no one who was equal to him and no one who could help him carry out his God-given mandate, that he was to be fruitful and multiply and, and, and fill the earth and subdue it. Somehow Adam knew that he could only do that with the help of someone like himself. And we see God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And although Adam was surrounded by animals, he was alone. He had no one like himself. He was alone. So God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he took one of his ribs, and he fashioned it into a woman, and he presented the woman to Adam in the very first wedding ceremony. He gave Adam Eve in the very first wedding, and Adam immediately broke into a song of praise. Now he saw his helper, the one who would compliment him and keep him company, and he sang out, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Adam became the very first wedding singer. He was so excited. He is no longer alone. He has a helper. He has Eve. The very first marriage. And then we read these words. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife and they become one flesh. Moses is describing marriage. Male and female living, leaving their family and becoming one. Beginning a new family together. So that was the very first marriage in Genesis. And now, a few thousand years later, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he quotes Genesis 2.24 and Ephesians 5.31. And then in the very next verse, he says this. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. And just like that, Paul begins to uncover the mystery of marriage, giving it a whole new meaning and a whole new purpose. He says that for all this time, the joining of a husband and a wife in marriage has actually been a mystery, that it's been pointing to something else, something greater. And only now, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, were we able to see what, at, what it has been pointing to. And the mystery of, of the marriage relationship is this. It's a picture of the relationship of Christ and his church. And this morning, that's what Christ's relationship with his church is what we're going to call this morning real marriage. That is real marriage. And so this means that marriage is all about the gospel. Paul tells us here that marriage is all about the gospel. Marriage is not ultimately about relational fulfillment or sexual fulfillment or procreation. Those are tied up into it. But Paul tells us here in Ephesians 5, the ultimate purpose of marriage is to serve as a picture of real marriage, Christ's relationship to the church. And so this morning, we're going to look at the ultimate wedding pictures. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when you got married, you probably got some wedding pictures. I remember when Dana and I, when I was getting married, the big, the big decision was who were we going to get to get our wedding pictures, to do our wedding pictures. As a guy, you never knew that that was such a big deal, but it, I guess it is. And luckily, we had a lady in our church that was a professional photographer, and she was really, really good. And a matter of fact, we convinced her to take our, our, our wedding photos. It was the last wedding that she ever did in her life. But I guess wedding photos are a big deal because you get one of these books and it gets to sit on your table and maybe every year or so you open it up and look at it, right? Or maybe, maybe ladies, you do it more than the guys do. But, uh, uh, but when you're thinking about getting wedding photos, it's important to get a, a professional to do it, right? You don't want to ask like just any old relative like Uncle Adam to take your pictures just because maybe he's got a new camera or something like that. Because what happens if you don't get a professional? If you, if you just ask someone, uh, you know, maybe a family friend or just a relative to do it, and you get your wedding pictures back, and in every picture you see the bride, the groom, and Uncle Adam's thumb. That's not a really great situation, right? That's not like I'm glad we had these wedding pictures taken, and I'm glad we know that Uncle Adam's in every, is there because his thumb's in every picture. You want a professional to take the pictures. Uh, you, you want someone to take them so when you look back at them, you remember what a special day it was. Well, God created marriage to be a picture that would stand the test of time and remind us of Christ's relationship with his church. And so marriage is a picture of the gospel. So whatever we do in our marriage, it means that we should bring glory to Christ. Whatever we do in marriage, we should bring glory to Christ. And the reality that marriage was a picture of Christ's relationship was with, with his church was fundamental to Paul's theology. It was fundamental to his theology. It's fundamental to what he's talking about here in Ephesians 5. So let's be honest. When you think about being a better husband or a better wife, are you motivated to do that because you want your marriage to be a picture of Christ's relationship with the church? I mean, if we're honest, do we really think about that? If I'm honest... Before this week, before, before studying and, and really looking at this text, I can't say that I spent a whole lot of time thinking about that. But it was central to Paul's theology. And your task in marriage is not ultimately to please your spouse or to find your own sense of satisfaction in your spouse because fulfillment can't come ultimately from your spouse. The ultimate joy and fulfillment in marriage is it comes from the understanding and, and embracing that God has designed it for a higher purpose. Marriage is about the gospel. And so this morning, let's, let's look at this text and, and let's look at the wedding picture, the ultimate wedding picture, and let's look at the bride's photo, the picture of the bride. Let's look how the wife fulfills her part of the picture in marriage. And, and very simply, the role of the wife is a picture of the church in real marriage. The role of the wife is a picture of the church in real marriage. And look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church in his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
And in the end of verse 33, Paul says, the wife must respect her husband. In this relationship that serves as a portrait of Christ and the church, it's the wife who's called to be an accurate portrait of the church and what the church is called to be. Wives, this is your calling from God. It's your mission and it's your privilege. As you respond to your husband, you are to, you are to respond to him as the church responds to Christ. So let's, let's flesh this out by asking three important questions. What, how, and why? What, how, and why? First of all, what is a wife to do? What is a wife to do? And Paul very simply answers, wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And notice Paul says wives should submit to their husbands. Wives are to voluntarily yield to the loving leadership of their husband. They're to trust and follow his leading. Now, there is an important word in the passage. It's an important word for us to remember. Because a woman is not to submit to every man, but to their own husband. They're to submit to their own husband. The Lord has determined there should be leadership structure within marriage. But this doesn't mean that women are, are, are supposed to submit to all men in general. It doesn't mean that all men are, are, are in charge of them and can tell them what to do or, or give them instructions. It, it says in marriage, the husband is in charge. The, the wife should submit to his leading. And the head of the church is Christ, and the church is to submit to his leadership. And the head of the wife is her husband, and she should submit to his leadership. And so there is an important word. Wives submit to their husband. And then he ends that with in everything. Those are important words too. And we need to be careful not to make this mean more than it says. And I'll give you an example of that. Say, for example, I tell Dana that from now on, she is no longer supposed to follow the speed limit and traffic laws because she'll be able to get places faster. It'll make her more productive. And I say, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm the leader. You're supposed to submit to my authority, so don't drive the speed limit and don't follow any traffic laws because this will get you places faster. She would have to follow my direction, Right? Right? No. I mean, there is a hierarchy of authority, and there are levels of authority. A wife is to submit to, the, to a higher authority before a lesser one. And if a lesser authority tells you to obey, disobey a higher authority, your submission needs to be to the higher authority. So when it comes to traffic laws, who is a higher authority? The police or me? It's the police. She, sh she, should, she should follow their authority. She should submit to their authority and not my authority because I'm crazy. Uh, that's just, that's just not, not only will that not save you time and make you more productive, it will put you in danger and you'll probably have to pay a lot of fines. And so that's not a good thing. So we, it's important that we don't make in everything to, to mean more than it says. But you know what? It's also important that we, we're careful not to make in everything mean less than it says too. Because everything is an all-encompassing phrase, which means that wives are to follow and obey their own husband's leading in everything that isn't contradictory to a higher authority. You're not free to follow his leadership 
or ignore it as you see fit. And really, the only time that, uh, that, you can, that you're to refuse to follow your leadership is when you can come to him with your Bible and say, listen, respectfully, I can't do what you're asking me to do because this is what God says. And he says that I shouldn't do this. That's the only time that you should not submit to his authority. Wives, you, uh, this whole idea of submission becomes such kind of a taboo thing in our culture, and it seems so uh, maybe misunderstood, because wives, it doesn't mean that you have to be silent and just submit. If you have concerns, if you have suggestions, if you have questions, you can voice them respectfully. And, and one of the great things about, about a husband and a wife is, you know, God gives us someone to spend our life with that, that has some ability and some gifts and, and sees things differently than we do. And so we, we do work as a team. And so, you know, you can respectfully express some concerns or share some questions or, 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 and go to him. But ultimately, in the end, you do have to follow your husband's decision and leading. Now, if your husband is intelligent and they know that you have some wisdom and that you have some good points, then that he would accept that. And he would understand that maybe I need to change my decision. But just because it, you need to submit to your husband doesn't mean that you need to be silent. You can respectfully, respectfully question and, and, and share some concerns. Ultimately, this won't be easy to submit, yet this is what the Lord calls for as a wife. You're to submit to your husband in everything. So how are wives to submit? I guess that's the next question. And Paul says you're to submit respectfully. You know, there isn't anything such as forced submission. It's called servitude or slavery. That's what forced submission is. It, uh, but submission is a choice. It's a choice. And God calls you to joyfully and freely submit to your husband. And your submission rightfully respect God's design for the roles within marriage. Willingly to uh, agreeing to follow his plan for marriage. God designed this. It was his plan, and his plan is good, and so we need to follow that plan. And Paul doesn't apologize for this, and he doesn't even suggest that, hey, wives, you need to submit to your husband because this is a negative result of the sin. Because if you look at Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, you'll see these roles in Genesis 2 even before you get to Genesis 3 when we see the fall of man and sin enters the world. This was God's idea from the start. And he isn't describing the kind of submission that dehumanizes wives, that, that robs you of your dignity. That's not what he's talking about here. You are important. You have gifts. You have abilities. God has created you and given you lots of things, and it doesn't mean you're a second-class citizen. But within the roles of husband and wife, you are to submit to his leadership willingly and joyfully. Paul wants wives to grasp that God has made you to fulfill an exclusive role in exhibiting the gospel, and he wants you to embrace that willingly and submit. And the final, the last question is, why are wives to respectfully submit to their own husband and everything? And this is why, and this is important. So don't miss this. Wives, when you submit, 
You revere Christ through respectful submission to your husband. You revere Christ through respectful submission to your husband. You show reverence to God and to Jesus and how they created marriage by respectfully submitting to your husband. That's important. This morning we said marriage is a picture of the gospel. And wives, if you refuse to respectfully submit to your husband's leading, you show the world that Jesus isn't worth following. That's what you do when you don't submit to your husband respectfully. If, if marriage is a picture of the gospel and you are a picture of the church and his relationship with Christ, when you in your marriage refuse to submit to your husband, you show the world that Jesus isn't worth following. Wives make a marriage an accurate picture of the real marriage when you respectfully submit to your husband's leadership. This is your unique calling. It's your privilege that God has given you. It's a role in which you can beautifully display the gospel. The picture of the bride is the picture of the church. And as, as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, we submit to his leadership. And as wives, you submit to your husband's leadership. That's your role in marriage. And when you do that, you communicate the gospel to a watching world. So that's the bride's picture. Let's look at the groom's picture. Let's see how the husband completes his part in the picture of marriage. Now, the role of the husband is a picture of Christ in real marriage. It's a picture of Christ in real marriage. Let's look at what Paul says here in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then in verse 33, it says, However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. In this relationship that's meant to be a picture of the relationship with, of Christ to his church, the husband's called to be an accurate portrait of Christ. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read this text, when I read these words, this is a huge part of this passage. This is longer than, uh, than the wives part. And I think so many times when we get to this passage, it's so easy to focus on the submit part. But this part, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That is a weighty, weighty instruction. That, that, that is huge for us to wrestle with. As you relate to your wife, you're, you're to be toward her as the church is toward Christ. So let's, let's flesh this out by asking again three questions. What, why, and how? What is a husband to do? Husbands are to lovingly lead and sacrificially serve their wives. And I think it's interesting here. Paul, he starts this off, and he doesn't immediately command husbands to be the head of your wife. He has told your wife to submit to your leadership, but he doesn't begin by saying, husband, lead. Look how he begins. Instead, he, sa he tells you to be filled with love for your wife. You are to lead by selflessly and sacrificially loving her, to give yourself up for her. 
I just think that's interesting that as Paul starts and, and as we have the, oper- the responsibility to lead, he starts and he doesn't say, hey, just lead, guys. He says, well, no, lovingly and sacrificially lead. Lovingly and sacrificially lead. Be a sacrifice for your wife. Be full of love to your wife and lead in love. And this is not the culture, this is not the love our culture thinks of, is it? Our culture's love is an emotion. It's a purely physical kind of thing. But here Paul tells us that true love is a choice. It's an act of the will. Requires action. You're not commanded to be romantically warm and fuzzy with your wife, but I hope that you are. But it's not about emotions here. You're told to choose to act in love toward her. And the model for your love is Christ's love for his people, the church. And how did Christ love the church? We've been talking about that in Romans. We've been going through this week after week. He loved in action, not just in words or feelings. He gave himself up for her. He gave up his life. He was active and deliberate. Christ went to the cross and died in our place because he loved us. He acted on that love. It was a choice. It was deliberate. It was sacrificial. And husbands, you display your love for your wife when you joyfully choose to give yourself up and sacrifice for her. You lead in love. You lead in forgiveness. You lead in repentance. You lead in sacrifice. You lead in the giving of your time and your attention and yourself. You're to lead by loving first and loving most and loving best and loving to the very end. A few years ago, Pat Robertson said that it would be okay for a man to leave his wife if she had Alzheimer's and could no longer recognize him or love him. So which is a better picture of Christ's love for a church, for the church? A husband who who faithfully serves his wife, even though she can't remember who he is, even though that, that she never knows who he is, but he, he day after day lovingly serves her and, and meets her needs and goes and, and communicates his love to her by sacrificing his time and serving her and, 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 and just caring to her needs. Is that a better picture of love, or is it a better picture of love, the, the husband whose wife has Alzheimer's and can't remember who he is, and he puts her in a home? And he divorces her and he gets remarried. What's a better picture of love? I think it's pretty clear. The faithful husband who sacrificially serves his sick wife is a miniature but accurate picture of real marriage, of Christ and his church. And what terrible advice for a Christian leader to give. Pat's advice goes directly opposite of what Paul is trying to communicate here in Ephesians 5. Husbands are to lovingly lead and sacrificially serve their wives. Well, how how do we do that? How do husbands lovingly and sacrificially lead their wives? We're told here, you're to wash your wife with the word, leading her to grow in holiness and loveliness. Husbands, we're to wash our wife with the word. As part of your God-given role, you are, you are to lead in washing your wife with the word of God. You're to lead in her spiritual development. So husbands, let's stop here for a moment. 
Because many of us here are good providers, right? We're good at providing for the physical needs of our wives and our families. And many of us are good protectors, too, because, you know, we're bigger, we're stronger, we, you know, we have a lot more guns than maybe our wives do. Maybe we don't, I don't know. Uh, but we're good at making them feel safe. We can protect them. And we can provide for them. We can protect them. May, some of us are really good at, uh, at loving our wives, that we've discovered their love language, and, and we're good at sacrificing and serving them. And these are all good things. But here Paul says, the heart of being a husband, of being an example of Christ in marriage, is to wash her by the word of God. Wash her by the word of God. Jesus' relationship to us was all about the word of God and bringing us into submission to his word. His word saved us, and now it challenges us to, to be more holy, to, to change and pursue holiness. And husbands, we're supposed to lead our wives and, and encourage them with the word of God. So how's your devotional life together? Do you know what passage your wife is reading in her devotions? When's the last time that you prayed with her? Now, to be honest, in my prep this week, I was challenged by this and felt led to ask Dana two important questions. As I was looking at my responsibilities as a husband, my God-given responsibilities, and what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5, I felt like I needed to ask her two important questions. Number one, how can I serve you better? Husbands, when's the last time we asked our wife that? How can I serve you better? And number two, how can I be a better spiritual leader in our relationship? And if I'm honest, I haven't asked those questions in a long time. Maybe ever. But husbands, we are to be leaders. We're to lovingly and sacrificially lead. And one of the ways that we do that is we're, we're to lead them by the word of God. We're to encourage them to grow in their relationship with God. Our unique task as husbands is to share God's word with our wives, challenging them with it and helping them apply it to their own lives as they pursue holiness. Marriage is all about holiness the same way the Christian faith is about holiness. Christ died to make his people holy, and you're married to make your wife holy. Marriage isn't about happiness. It's about holiness. And there's a lot of books, even in Christian bookstores, that don't focus on that. They want to make you happy. Paul says, husbands, we're to make our wives holy. We're to lead them in holiness. And if God has charged husbands with the washing of their wives with the word of God, this means that we need to be in God's word. It means that we need to lead in holiness. And for the sake of our wives, as a tangible expression of your love for her, you need to be relentless in growing in your own personal holiness. She needs to see that you're actively pursuing holiness in your life if you want to lead her into holiness too. So we need to examine our own hearts and examine our own lives and say, are we spending time with God? Are we spending time in his word to, so we can be the leader that he wants us to be? And finally, why should husbands lovingly and sacrificially lead their wives? 
And this is why it's important, because you reflect Christ through your loving sacrifice for your wife. You reflect Christ through your loving sacrifice for your life. This morning we said marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. And husbands, if you don't love or sacrifice and serve your wife, you know what you show the world? You show the world that Christ doesn't care for his church, that Christ doesn't love his church. When we don't sacrificially serve and we don't lovingly lead our wives, we show the world, we're, we're a poor testimony, we show the world that Christ doesn't care for his church, that he doesn't love his church, that he ignores his church. And that's not true. That's not true. Husbands, make marriage an accurate picture of real marriage when you lovingly lead and sacrificially serve your wife. When you give up your life for your wife. When you give up your life for your wife. So as we close this morning, imagine if you just got married and you returned from your honeymoon and a few weeks later you, you get the notice that your wedding pictures are finished. And wedding pictures are a little bit different now than they were when, when we got married. We, you probably don't get an album like we got, but you probably get a, a file sent to you and, and, and all these JPEGs are in this file. And you're excited when, you're, when you get home from work that you're going to sit down and you're going to open up your laptop and you're going to open up picture after picture and just remember this great day that you had celebrating God bringing you two together. And so you open up the first picture and you find it's a little out of focus. And you open up the next picture and that one's out of focus. And you go through all the pictures and you realize they are all out of focus. How disappointing would that be, right? That would be so, so disappointing. You wouldn't want to display them or show them to people because they wouldn't clearly communicate how special your wedding was, how special that day was that you celebrated together. Well, this morning we talked about how our, marriage, our marriages should testify of the gospel, revealing Christ's picture of his relationship with his church. And so when our wife refuses to uh, when a wife rubs against the authority of her husband and argues with him, when she refuses to respect him or refuses to follow his leadership, the beauty of that picture gets distorted. The beauty of that picture gets distorted. And when a husband stops sacrificially serving his wife, when he stops treating her with love and, and coldly tries to control her, when he refuses to lead in encouraging her, her growth and holiness, this picture gets all out of focus. It gets out of focus. See, our marriage is a picture to be treasured. It's, a, it's something to be taken care of. So it can be a beautiful and accurate picture of real marriage. Christ's relationship with his church. A stunning picture of the gospel. And so as we close this morning, I just close with a question. Is your marriage a good picture or a bad picture of the gospel? Is it a good picture or is it a bad picture of the gospel? Is it accurate or is it out of focus? When people look at your lives, they look at your relationship with your wife, does it, does it reflect Christ's relationship with his church? Is it an accurate picture of what Christ's love is for his church? What kind of testimony does your marriage portray to a watching world? What does it say about the gospel? 
Like I said, th- this week I was reading through this and I was studying this and I was, I was really, really challenged. And, I, and I'll be the first to tell you, I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. But I know one thing is for sure. After this week and after looking at this passage, I have a new appreciation that what I do as a husband matters. It just doesn't matter to Dana. I always knew it mattered to her. But it matters to God and it matters to the watching world. Our marriages are a picture of the gospel. What kind of picture are we portraying to those watching? Is it accurate? Wives, are you an accurate picture of, of the church who submits to Christ's leadership? And husbands, are you an accurate picture of Christ who, who sacrificially and lovingly leads his church? My hope and prayer is that God will give us the strength, the willingness, the ability to be the picture of the gospel that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord. And this is, this is a huge passage of scripture. I read this passage of scripture, and I know in my own humanness and my own flesh that I fall short of this so, so often. So this morning we ask that that you would give us the ability by the power of your Holy Spirit to be the, uh, the wives and the husbands that you've called us to be. And not just so that we could have a peaceful and a, and a, and a, uh, a fulfilling marriage, Lord. While that's important, Lord, we want to be the wives and the husbands that you've called us to be so we can represent the gospel to a watching world so that we can picture your love for us, your sacrificial love for us, the church and the church's submission to your loving leadership, pursuing holiness. Lord, we need your help. We can't do that on our own. Lord, we pray you give us the grace and the mercy to fulfill our role, knowing that when we do what you've called us to do here in Ephesians 5, when we fulfill the roles that you've placed on us, Lord, that we represent, we project, we we show a beautiful picture of the gospel to a watching world, a beautiful picture of your love for us, your sacrificial love for us, what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So marriage matters. It matters to God. Let's obey him and do it his way. And he's given husbands and wives specific roles in marriage for a purpose. To reflect and radiate the gospel of Jesus Christ. To show the world his love for his church. This week, let's, let's try to focus and be an accurate picture of what God created in marriage. And, and what he designed marriage to reflect. His love for us. Thank you so much for being here.